Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. Today, we are grappling with yet another unimaginable tragedy that has now become commonplace in a country that values guns more than children's lives. And joining us for our interview is the guy who got the midterms right, Democratic campaign strategist Simon Rosenberg, who talks to us about what is needed now to overcome MAGA Republicans in 2024 and beyond. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. Jennifer, I would love to be able to start off an episode talking about something, you know, light and fun. And um, yeah, it's not the week for it. It's not the week for it. It's but when have we had a week for it? Uh, In the first three months of this year, more people have died because of gun violence in our country than in the last decade uh, in Iraq. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's so painful. It's so painful. Guns are the number one killer of children in our country. It, there's no other way to say it. We have utterly failed as a society when we value guns more than our own children. Yeah. It really, that really stood out for me too, watching the viral video of the mom who uh, took over. The news cameras outside the school uh, who is visiting there from i think chicago or illinois or something and um and had just had her own you know run-in with with school gun violence and i think her really making that point driving that point home this is the number one cause of death among children in this country it surpassed car accidents which were always the number one you know cause of death so in which we it's have a lot troubling. of regulations about to keep in protections yeah. to keep people safe in cars, like car yeah. seats for children. Yeah, it's true. We're not we're not approaching it at the level of the absolute health, public health crisis that it is. It's yeah, and what's so uh, striking? I'm not going to say demoralized because I refuse to be demoralized. In fact, yeah. I, I have been utterly demoralized by shootings in the past um, and just mm-hmm. despondent. My reaction to this one was uh, anger and resolve. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think a lot of people felt that way. Um, and we're going to talk about some of them in, in my reason for hope. Uh, but, you know, in any other country and in any kind of normal life like world this terrible tragedy shooting would be something that would be like in the history books as this landmark horrific event that happened in our country where you know these you know lives were taken from these young kids yeah and it's just another statistic it's just another one of a long list of these tragedies now there's generations who not only have been through one shooting but have been through two shootings or have you know um been on lockdown drills and and you know active shooter yeah. drills and 
It's part of the culture, for sure, of the new generation in a way that wasn't even like that when I was growing up. I don't know. It's it's wild. It's uh, it's horrific, and it can't be allowed to go on, you know. And yeah. uh, and we have to keep fighting every single day for progress. There has been progress. There needs to be way more. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, of course. Democrats uh, want progress on this. In fact, I say Democrats. Uh, the great uh, majority of Americans want progress on this. Uh, you know, common sense gun laws. I've said it a million times on this fucking show. Common sense gun laws are favored by eighty percent of Americans, including Republicans, including NRA members. The assault weapons ban is very popular. It is a handful of of Republicans who are holding this up and keeping us from literally saving the lives of our children. We are killing our children in the present and we are taking away their future, uh, their futures with inaction on climate change. So um, uh, we're not doing right by our kids and, uh, and that has to change. And uh, I believe it mm -hmm. will, you know, we have a great interview coming up with Simon Rosenberg and, um, and he's a hopey changey. Yes, we can kind of guy <laughs> <laughs> from a veteran of both the Clinton and the Obama campaigns. And, um, you know, uh, it, he has a very specific, uh, and optimistic, which includes work. It's not just, you know, hope, but it, it includes, we have to deliver on this. But he's got a good outlook on the coming elections and the future of our country as a whole because of that. So, But in the meantime, man, we have to do more. Yeah, we have to do more. I'm glad Biden called for the assault ban again. I think we have to keep doing that. I think we absolutely have to do everything we can to pass what we can in the Senate and and push these House Republicans who aren't going to take it up and force them to be on the record about it and make their lives miserable and vote them out, you know, engage the the new generation, the Gen Z voters who care so much about this issue, engage them in bird dogging these guys everywhere they go and just making their lives miserable and voting them out in 2024. I mean, that's what we have to do. Yeah. That is our job, and I know that our listeners have done this too much, but, uh, you know, call your all of your electeds and, uh, and tell them that you uh, want an assault weapons ban um, up for a vote uh, right now. Right now. Okay. And there was some other news that I was following this week that's a little bit more on the positive side that I wanted to share. Thank like, you. Please. <laughs> I need that. I need that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've been following and hopefully others have too, but just in case, what's been going on in Michigan is pretty exciting and interesting in a number of ways. My favorite candidate for first woman president, <laughs> Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Ah. I'll admit it, I like her a lot for wow. first woman president. Um, yeah. So she's been rocking it. And then the Democrats there who've, been, who've tried for many years to get control of the legislature finally did in 2022. And they're really governing in an amazing way. They've passed um, incredible legislation strengthening anti-discrimination policies for LGBTQ, 
LGBTQ folks repealing an old abortion ban. And last week, they repealed the state's right-to-work law, which had decimated the unions by letting workers opt out of dues. And now they really are allowing organized labor to rebuild in the Midwest. And what is, I think, interesting, and Greg Sargent pointed it out in his column this week, it it's that mix of supporting the working class and tackling the culture war at the same time that is part of this formula that democrats need to really look at and listen to as we go into 2024 that it when they when when democrats are in power they push forward an agenda that combines these two big issues around the economy and making it work for working people and our rights and freedoms and wanting mm. to have you know, that those protections put in place for all of us. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer, she is uh, very impressive. She's your pick, huh? Yeah. She's my pick. I don't know. I just, I think she's really great. I think she's got a great set of values. She's a good communicator. She's, she's just a great leader. And I think, I, I think she could be a great president. Yeah. And she's faced so much, you know, literal, you know, not just threats, but literal actions against her and and, uh, has not backed down one iota, stands up for for what she believes in, stands up uh, for her state. So, yeah, she's she's compelling, but not not 2024, maybe. uh, No, (laughs) in the future. (laughs) Yeah. I just think she's an important part of our bench that is somewhat overlooked sometimes, but she's an executive, she's a governor. Sometimes people think we don't have a good bench, and I think that's absolutely not true. Simon talked about it a little bit too, but I I think, Mm. um, yeah, Gretchen Whitmer is just one of those people in our up-and-coming Democratic Party bench that we should be looking out for. Cool. You will. All Mm -hmm. right. Well, talking about Great people. We're bringing back this week our Hero of the Week segment uh, because we wanted to just highlight it's actually not one hero. It's uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of heroes, and that's uh, everybody standing up and standing together for democracy in Israel. Uh, It was so inspiring, continues to be inspiring to see uh, everyone standing up. of course, Netanyahu was trying to take over control of the judiciary, and that would completely subvert democracy. And uh, of course, he's doing that because he's under investigation and he wants to stay out of jail. Um, and the uprising was so uh, so big and powerful uh, that he actually backed off, at least for now, um, mm-hmm. from trying to do that. So it it worked. And uh, it shows the power of people coming together for democracy. It's a great example to us here in the U.S. and everywhere else. And Simon also talks a, a bit about it, about how important it is that, that we stand up for democracy for the sake of everyone else where democracy is, is, uh, is fragile and there's you know, despots who are trying to take power. So um, – Heroes of the week are um, the Israelis who have stood up for democracy. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about this week's to-do list. We we mentioned already calling 
your representatives to pass an assault weapons ban. Yes, that is a must. And of course, this is the last real week as we head into the Wisconsin Supreme Court election, which is on April 4th. We've talked about that a lot, and I think we have the links to the Swing Left page, which is so helpful to get in there and do things, take action on the election, also continue to donate. Um, I think what we're seeing from the folks and what we're hearing from folks on the ground is that it's it looks good for Judge Janet. People know about the election, which is amazing for mm. something that can feel a little bit obscure. They have actually achieved the goal of most voters actually knowing and understanding that there's a big election going on. So that's great. And it's we're very finding- important that voter education component because it's technically nonpartisan. Her right. uh, her um, party affiliation does not show up on the ballot. So. Right. And abortion is really dominating. You know, the issue of mm. abortion is dominating the debate, and that actually motivates our side more than it does their side. So that's a good thing. Um, and, you know, just in general, it, it just – it seems like from what we're hearing, there's energy, there's going to be turnout. But – Races are always very close in Wisconsin. It's like the one thing you can count on. <laughs> so yeah. you know it's going to be close. You don't know what's going to happen. So just it's the all-out effort to get to the finish line. But it it's huge. If we are able to win this election, it is a very, very big victory as we head into the next cycle. Well, yes, let's leave it all on the field, do everything we can, make every last phone call that you can for this. My money's on Ben Wickler. Uh, he's the difference maker there, but um, but don't take anything for granted. Um, this is a really, really important one. Thank you all for what you've done. Don't let up. And um, yeah, go to swingleft.org. I'll put the link in the in our show notes. So we want to talk about our reasons for hope. I do. Um, my reason for hope is um, the victims of gun violence over the years who will not stop organizing. Mm -hmm. And when I talked about my reaction to this particular shooting, uh, of course, it's hard heartbreaking. Um, anyone who has a child can just imagine uh, how utterly devastating uh, that would be. Your life changed forever. But there are people who have been through this and will not stop organizing, and they give me so much hope. And that's gun violence victims like David Hogue, uh, Fred Gutenberg, mm. uh, who is going to come on our show um, next month, uh, Nicole Hockley, who co-founded um, Sandy Hook Promise after she lost her child in that you know, inexplicable shooting, uh, yeah. a local uh, – High school student who I guess is in college now, Mia Tretta, who was a survivor from the Saugus uh, high school shooting. She was actually shot. And um, and I saw her up in Sacramento a couple of uh, weeks ago with the um, Moms Demand Action Advocacy Day that was going on up there speaking. Um, these are mm. activists who have been through the most unspeakable, horrific thing, in some cases losing their child and refuse to back down, refuse to give up. And um, and they have hope for the future. They believe that they're going to get it done, that we're going to be able to pass some common sense gun reforms and save lives. And uh, I believe it too. If they believe it, I believe it. And I follow them and they give me tremendous hope. 
is really incredibly hopeful to watch all of that activism coming from that place of real life experience that people have had. And I, I completely agree. I think we need to really celebrate those leaders and and continue to hope along with them at the same time that we fight as hard as we can to make cha the change that needs to happen. Yep. All right. Well, um, enough from us today. Uh, I'm excited uh, to hear Simon Rosenberg is so brilliant. And um, you you all know him and love him from uh, – it, it was funny. One of one of my activist friends sent an email. Um, the great Jessica Craven, who has her great uh, chop wood carry water email, and she said, "Sorry, I'm typing this as I'm listening to Simon Rosenberg's report." And uh, and I'm like, "Well, he's we're just about to record a great interview with him." So uh, for everyone, including Jessica, if you're listening, here's our interview with Simon Rosenberg. Simon Rosenberg is the founder of New Democrat Network and the New Policy Institute, a liberal think tank and advocacy group based in Washington, D.C. He's a veteran of presidential campaigns from Clinton to Biden. And right now, he's known to pundits as the guy who got the midterms right. He is a frequent commentator in the national media, appearing regularly in major papers, websites, journals, and on cable and network TV. He's recently joined Future Majority and has launched a new Substack that he calls the Hopium Chronicles. Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. Jen, I go wherever you ask. It's great to be here today. <laughs> And so I want to start with the midterms question, because your voice in the lead up to the midterms was really critical. And I want to say the role that you played was important to me personally, because at Way to Win, we also were putting out the call that there was a path to win in the midterms, despite all the doom and gloom we were facing constantly. And often I felt like a voice in the wilderness. And so you being out there doing all of that work was really, really helpful. And it made me feel like it was possible as well at the in those dark times. So I wanted to ask you now that we've had a few months to reflect. What are some of the biggest lessons you're taking forward from that experience where you really had to push back really hard on the narrative of the election of the election itself and the assertion that it was absolutely in the bag for the Republicans, there would be a red wave? And just what are you holding that we should remember for the next time so that that doesn't happen again? I think the big mistake that many of the commentators in Washington made was they normalized the extremism of MAGA, and that somehow, while voters were looking at this with horror and, you know, the anti-MAGA majority, and I know you use that term now as well, mm -hmm. you know, we just had two elections in a row where MAGA was on the ballot and Democrats, you know, did really well in both elections. And once the Republicans chose to embrace MAGA after January 6th, they were taking an enormous political risk because there had there really was an anti-MAGA majority, and it meant and the core of my analysis, which goes all the way back to October of 2021, mm -hmm. was that, you know, by them running towards a politics which had just been rejected by the country twice in overwhelming numbers, they were probably going to limit their gains and it was going to make it a close competitive election that Democrats have a shot. And so I think what we've seen is that MAGA and fear of MAGA has driven the last three elections. It's been the most powerful force in the last three. And now that DeSantis and Trump are trying to out MAGA each other every day. And Trump is even, I mean, Mag DeSantis is even in some ways more MAGA than Trump. Mm -hmm. It's almost inevitable they're going to elect 
uh, another MAGA candidate. And I think that's a big problem for them. And it's why I'm recommending that we not only try to win in 2024, but we try to grow our vote significantly, get to 55 or strive to 55, which you coined, which I may steal, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, crush them in the election, not just beat them, but crush them in a way that will hopefully end the dark grip of MAGA over the Republican Party. I mean, I, I think that we, you know, beating them by a lot is a way of liberating our democracy from the threat that we're under. So, you know, I think that my big takeaway is that people in Washington, because of the he said, she said, because of Democrat, Republican, of left and right, and all these kind of symmetrical constructs, fell back into a place where they stopped seeing what was really happening by this normalization, which is that, you know, MAGA remains an ugly, dark force. If voters know it, particularly in the battleground. And now the Republicans, the challenge for Republicans is there's now been three elections where we've litigated MAGA in the battleground. All three have gone bad for them. Mm -hmm. And it, it means that their next candidate, if they even have a tint of MAGA, is going to be is going to have problems and their two leading candidates have way more than a tenth of, of MAGA. It's almost like they're not learning from their uh, <laughs> what they're but doing. That's what happens when extremists take over your politics, right? I mean, it's literally the definition to some degree of extremism is that they are not responding to external events. They're not being driven, you know, by external events. Trump in an interview with Sean Hannity doubled down on his argument that voting by mail is improper and and a, a way that Democrats cheat. It's, you know, as you know, every Republican in the country thinks that Trump's persuading people to vote on election day and not vote early and not use mail was a devastating tactical error by them. Right. And yeah. he's continuing it. So, you know, I think the simple explanation is that, you know, they're not operating. They're no longer operating as a party you know, out in trying to get outside their bubble, right? They're living in the bubble, in the right-wing bubble, the right-wing right -wing media bubble, the right-wing political bubble, and they can't get out. And and it's why we have, I think, have to really go on offense, think big, try to expand our coalition and, and, and crush them in 2024. Yeah. I, I want to talk about that uh, a little bit. Um, and just not for nothing, I don't have the the reach that you do, but I was also saying there wasn't going to be a red wave. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no one was listening to me. But I, I came I came at that from a different place because uh, I'm an organizer, and I always look at volunteer enthusiasm as a marker, yeah. and uh, and you see it. You know, obviously Virginia yeah. is always a great bellwether for the kind of volunteer enthusiasm we have. And um, I was despondent like many other people until the repeal of Roe when I saw volunteers really stepping up to engage again. And, and when I see that, I know that when people show up and, and, and help out on campaigns, that's when we win. So um, having said that like, uh, and looking forward to the next election, uh, you talk about some different groups that we really need to focus on to make sure that we build and widen that coalition. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I'm, this is a sketch, right? I, I'm, I don't know the answer. It's like man on the moon, we just have to get there. I'm not sure exactly how we get there. I have some ideas, but a lot mm -hmm. of testing needs to go into this, a lot of collaboration and discussion. And it, and it starts with the ambition itself, right? It's like we have to, you can't, score unless you shoot. You can't win a game unless you have a plan to win. And so what I'm doing is I'm challenging everybody 
to also start getting out of our defensive crouch that we've been in over the last couple of years and 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 think differently about what's possible because the democratic party today is strong joe biden is a good president the country is better off our grassroots is stronger than it's ever been a lot is going right for us and we got down on ourselves and lost confidence in ourselves last cycle and we can't do that again a country it's it it you know if we if we lose because we've lost confidence in ourselves you know our democracy could go away we don't have the luxury of this kind of self-reflection and so and and self you know the frustration that we had with each other last cycle and so i think i'm laying out four groups but there may be five more i don't know and, mm -hmm. and i'm open to i've already had today on my call the democrats abroad there's six and a half million Democrats abroad, only about 600,000 vote. That's a lot of potential votes for us. It's another new area to be focusing on. But the four that I lay out is under 45-year-old voters, Hispanics, never MAGA, never Trumper, and people affected by the politics of abortion. And I, and I say people because I think it's both men and women. I don't know that it's just women. And I think, um, and I, there's obviously enormous overlap in those four groups. But I think each of them deserve their own strategy and their own because they're communities. There's there's ways, and so I think that the biggest opportunity is just with young people. I mean, if we can get turnout up significantly among under forty fives, I mean, the people who vote the most for us, the people who are most democratic, vote the least. Well, that's we should change that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we have the power to do it, and Jen knows this. I mean, we're now living in you know a lot of democratic politics was built around strategies coming from a time of scarcity we're now living in a time of abundance as democrats we have unbelievable amounts of money and we have to use that money to rethink the way that we do our business i think we should spend 100 million dollars in the next six to nine months registering people under 45 years old and i think we should, i think the money's there i think we need to put the ca campaign together mm -hmm. and it's one of the highest priorities for us i think in this election um and so i don't exactly know how it's going to work but let me just be clear to your listeners you know we did this once before when i met jen you know almost 20 years ago i was running around with a powerpoint about millennials and hispanics saying that you know there's a new electorate emerging and if we lean into it we can expand our vote and in from 1992 to 19 to 2004 we averaged 47% in those four elections when we started leaning into this new coalition in 06 and 08, we've now averaged 51% in these four elections. We grew by four percentage points. So we've already done this. Let's do it again and get up to 55. Because you mentioned 45 and under, uh, which is obviously really important. You look at Gen Z and the record registration that they had in the midterms, which was very meaningful. Um, again, working as an organizer, we know that if you don't get uh, someone to register the first opportunity that they have to register, it's incredibly difficult to keep them or to get them engaged until they're 30. There's this uh, block of, you know, 18 to, you know, 20-somethings that it's just really hard to get them engaged. But if you do register them the first opportunity that they have, it, they become habitual voters. It becomes part of their right. identity. Master, they... The accelerate, you accelerate the process of them becoming a habitual voter, right? Yeah. So um, I guess I, I just, you know. So I'm not willing to accept that reality. 
I'm, I, we have to change that reality. That's uh, you. You may be right. We're a lot of defeatism in the Democratic Party about young people. I don't think we, I don't think we try hard enough. Um, oftentimes, and what I'm doing is I'm saying, look, the the upside of launching a massive campaign like this is so immense that we would be foolish not to do it. And yeah, there's going to be problems. Like it's not going to be perfect, right? But like we got to try and. I think we can do it. And I think it requires there to be some kind of, you know, I'd love to see Olivia Rodrigo or a whole series of people, you know, become co-chairs of this campaign and, mm -hmm. um, you know, people who are socially conscious and they actually go out and knock on doors themselves and, you know, do things. I mean, there's no, we could build something so amazing here and in an off year when it's not in the crowded environment, think about how much press this could get and, and TikToking and all the things that, you know, the way that everyone communicates my daughter's going to be a first time voter soon she's 17 and and you know it's we could make this really exciting for people and create a national like hey you want to be a good young person you know like you got to go vote and you got to whoever you vote for and i think this is something that's we're pushing against an open door i think and but we we need to do it and um Let's see. I mean, I've gotten, I've already had, since I began this just two weeks ago or so, I, I've already had a lot of people reach out to me. And I'm pretty confident there's going to be a lot of money thrown at this. I just think it has to be thrown at it now and not next year. I think this has got to be an off-year activity and not a not an even-year activity. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I agree 100%. The earlier we get started on all of this was one of the biggest lessons I had from the midterms as well. Yeah. So Simon, you and I have known each other a long time, as you said, but for those listeners who don't know you as well, could you just share a little bit about how you first kind of got your start in American politics? Yeah. And now that you've been at it for so long, what are you actually most excited about as you go forward? Yeah, I'm definitely part of the problem and not part of the solution anymore. I've been here for so <laughs> I long. I don't think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I listen, I got my start. I was not very political in college or high school. I mean, I you know ran for vice president of my school, but I was not a very I, – I, I didn't think I was going to go into politics. It was not something I ever thought about. And I was lucky to get a job right out of college at ABC News and – went to New York and worked at ABC, which was an amazing experience as a young person. And my my boss had been a big Democrat who had moved into the media business. He had worked for Ted Kennedy and and uh, and for Bobby Kennedy. Um, and he, um, two years into my time there, uh, I was sort of in a junction in my career. And he said, you should go work on a presidential campaign. And I said, what do you mean? You're telling me to get out of here. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying working here. At ABC, and he said, "Listen, when you're 60 years old, and you look back at your life, are you going to be happy about spending another year and a half as a producer, or do you want the experience of going out and working on a presidential campaign?" Mm. So I was like, "Okay, that sounds pretty good to me." Uh, and I went to go work for Mike Dukakis. It was a long time ago. I was a field organizer for over a year. Uh, you know, sleeping on floors and eating bugs—what you know, field <laughs> organizers used to used to do uh, in the old days. A lot and, of protein uh, in those bugs. Yeah, a lot of protein. <laughs> what are the four campaign food groups? It's like pizza, coffee, McDonald's. I mean, it's donuts. Uh, but yeah. I I really learned a lot <laughs> in, about the country and got out of my northeastern bubble that I was in and, you know, lived in Iowa and Michigan and 
you know, Toledo, Ohio, I mean, I traveled all over the country and it was an incredible experience. It changed me. I mean, it's why I'm here probably all these years later is that I enjoyed working with people to try to make things better on a very basic level. It just was felt good. I never thought I would do it in a million years. Went back into the TV news business. And then I got a call at the end of 1991 from a bunch of my friends who are the people I liked from the campaign in 88, who said, we're going to work for this guy, Bill Clinton, you should come. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up being the communications director in New Hampshire. And, you know, all these years later, I got a wife and a mortgage and kids and you know, <laughs> uh, I'm in Washington. So in terms of what I'm most excited about, I, th- I think, you know, it's a it's a really hard question, but I, I think off the top of my head, I'm most excited about the next generation of Democrats that are coming up. I think that if you look at Hakeem Jeffries and Gretchen Whitmer and Jared Polis and Gavin Newsom and just Kamala, you make your list. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing, actually, when you add mm-hmm. it all up. Um, you know, Abby Spanberger and Alyssa Slotkin. I mean, I've gotten to know a lot of the folks who got recently elected in the House and Senate here in D.C. And I am I think this is just an amazing, remarkable group of people. And whenever Joe Biden decides to fade from the scene and Chuck Schumer and Bernie and the, the older ones who are, you know, the generational wheels turning now, and we mm-hmm. should look forward to that generational wheel turning, not be scared about it. I think we're in good hands. That's really exciting. Um, I agree. Uh, so... Every week we give our listeners a to-do list because this is uh, a show about getting people into action. And uh, you've talked about the importance of us getting louder as a democratic family. Um, We certainly understand and appreciate the importance of progressive media and the role that we play here. Um, What does getting louder look like for activists? Is there a narrative that's top of mind right now that our listeners should be paying attention to and amplifying? Well, I think I think we have one big political job to do message narrative this year, which is that we have to get into positive territory in the economy. Um, it's the thing, you know, if we could do two big things this year, register lots of young people, get into positive territory in the economy, we'll enter into 2024 in pretty good shape. Hmm. We're not going to have the election that we want to have if we're in negative territory in the economy versus the Republicans. And so a lot of the work that I do, the sort of the message narrative all, you know, agenda work I do is around helping Democrats understand how to engage in the economic conversation. My the bread and butter of my organization for almost three decades was around economic policy and glo- global and domestic economic policy. And this is stuff I know pretty well. I've been in the you know fight here for 30 years. And I think we've underperformed dramatically as a party on basic economic issues. And we've we could debate why that is, but you know the basic stat I always use, and Jen knows this, is that since 1989 and a new age of globalization began, there have been 48 million jobs created in America. 46 million of those have been created under Democratic presidents, mm. basically all of them. And we've had three very successful Democratic presidents in a row who created growth and lower deficits and American progress. And Republicans have had three consecutive presidents deliver recession, higher deficits, and American decline. We shouldn't be losing the economic fight to these guys. And um, I think we have to really be super intentional. So in terms of getting loud, 
the most important thing we can all collectively get loud on is on economic matters this next year and to take some of the stats I've given, take your own stats. I think I'm very ecumenical about how people argue and, you know, bug their friends with all the good news about the Democrats. But the basic premise of Get Loud is there has to be organizations and institutions, you know, like Nine is Touch and all stuff you're doing here. But, you know, the war room in 1992, which I was part of, the concept of it was it was like 20 of us, Carvel, Stephanopoulos, blah, blah, blah. You know, fighting it out. But the war room now has to be two, three, four million people who get up every day, wired together, amplifying positive messages about Democrats and, you know, through their networks, however they move stuff through networks, right? Could be TikTok, could be just emails to friends and to become intentional about spreading the good news and not and feeling like we have agency. And we do have agency together, particularly if it's two or three million of us every day, we can match Fox News if we do that. And it's, and I think in the short term, to me, to close the gap with the Republicans who are louder than we are, the most effective way we can do that is if millions of Americans get up every day feeling they're, they're, they're part of the info war and play a part in it in whatever way they're comfortable, right? I, I get a lot of questions like, well, I write postcards and that's part of it. That's about being loud, right? But I mean more than just campaigns. I think the thing, the difference between us and them is that all, almost all of our activity is campaign related. They have this whole other layer of politics, right? Which is these 24 seven, 365 propaganda machines that we have no answer to. And we can't, it's, it's why things are closer than they need to be. It's why they're still surviving despite being bananas, right? And, you know, banana Republicans. And so I think to me, we have to match to some degree this noise machine they've built and in the short term, I think the best way to get there is through people, um, you know, taking being intentional and doing it in whatever way is comfortable to them. Right. I do it in my work every day. I'm super loud, aggressive. <laughs> and but that's but I'm just a guy. Right. Like I'm just a guy doing it. I got my sub stack. I'm here with you, you know. And so there's a lot more we can do. I'm trying to create a permission structure for the proud patriots and who love you know love their country, who get up every day doing the work that you're talking about, Steve. To also do this work too, to view it not just as a campaign, but they can if they just do a little bit every day, and there's two million of us doing doing a little bit, we're going to be really really loud. And I think that's why I'm optimistic that my call to arms here, right, is as an, as a veteran of the war room, I think these are achievable things, and and because they're we're starting zero basically, you know, I mean the National Party, and we could debate this for a long time, has not gone out. The fellow Democrats and said, we want you to get loud. They say, we want you to give me money and let us be loud. Mm. And I don't think yeah. our family, I think people want to be partners in the fight, not donors to the cause. And we have to create a different relationship with our grassroots, I think, if we really want to get to where we all want to go. I love that. So uh, thank you, Simon. You mentioned your new Substack, which is called the yeah. Hopium Chronicles, which yeah. is very... Um, fitting for our show where we always talk about reasons for hope. Um, so we'll encourage everyone to sign up for that. We can even put the link, I think, in our show notes and give that to folks. But um, but just tell us what's giving you hope right now. It can just be today. You know, what what's giving you hope? What's giving me hope is that they're so terrible. I mean, <laughs> truly, DeSantis is just, what a piece of, I'm not going to say the rest of it, right? I mean, 
he yeah. he made such a miscalculation and pushed himself so far to the right. I mean, he could have run nationally on a 15 week abortion ban. He can't run on a six week abortion ban. He can't run. Mm. You know, the six week abortion bans at 22 percent in Florida. Right. Forget about mm. in Michigan and Pennsylvania. And so I, what gives me hope is that I think they're blowing it really bad. And, you know, what we need to do is to recognize that and to run up the score. Like, that's part of what I'm talking about. Like we mm -hmm. have to, we have to not give them power they don't have. We have to stop believing that they're the Wizard of Oz. It's just the old guy behind the curtain, like literally Donald <laughs> Trump, the old guy behind the curtain, right? <laughs> yeah. And Grifting. and um, you know the orange guy, the painted man. And <laughs> we need to we need to go into this election feeling confident as if we're going to grow and expand and not as some people in our party talk about repositioning us and which I think is timid and cowardly as opposed to bold and ambitious. Joe Biden went really big legislatively in 01 and 21 and 22. Yeah. We need to go politically. We need to go big politically now. And it's just time. They're making it easy for us. They're the ugliest party in American history. These guys are the biggest extremists that we've ever seen and we may ever seen in our lifetime. We can't let them put lipstick on the pig on the other end. We got to mm -hmm. define them now and hold them accountable for how crazy they've gone and the danger they put our country in. And in a weird, funny way, I think what's happening in Israel and the protests we're seeing successfully pushing back on BB who is, you know, fellow MAGA, part of greater MAGA, um, yeah. right. is an inspirational thing for all of us, right? Yeah. It, it, we're in it together. I mean, this is a global fight. And we have brothers and sisters fighting along with us all around the world. We're counting us on us to win, by the way. Um, because if we lose here, it all is lost virtually everywhere. And I have had this feeling watching the Israeli protests of of uh there's something very affirming about it to me and mm -hmm. in terms of just making me feel less lonely and mm -hmm. the struggle that we're in here every day and i and if i can just end with one last thing and mm -hmm. i've gone on a long time today i think the whole thing about hope is hope has to have a plan right for hope to be um let me try to reflect on this for a second because I've never actually said what I'm about to say. The reason I've embraced the concept of hopium is that to me what hopium is, is willing something to be that may not have been before. It's hopium with power. Mm -hmm. We willed that election to be what we needed it to be in mm -hmm. 2022. It didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. We, through the power of hope, and our organizers, and our money, and our candidates, we defied history. We did something together. We changed the future. Hopium is hope with power behind it, right? It's mm -hmm. the ability to will something to be that may not have been otherwise. Well, that work is not done. And, you know, we have to learn in our family how to have more agency and more confidence in ourselves that we're on the right side of history, that we're up against an unbelievably dark force, and that we have to summon the energy from that battle to imagine even more powerful outcomes. I think the way we won this election gave us a lot of 
you know, we got mojo, right? And but that mojo only matters if we use it to go, you know, through the force of our will and the force of our work and the force of our ambition and the force of our unwilling to put up with their horseshit that we are going to change history again we're going to destroy maga and we're going to do something that's going to stun the world we just did it we have to do it again and i am confident that if we can that we have the tools and the people and the folks all around the steve what you were saying the millions of people get up do the work we've never had a grassroots uprising we're having our own uprising in this country but it's happening through our elections it's not happening through protests it's happened at three consecutive elections. The equivalent of our marches are the people writing postcards and donating 10 bucks and you know going door to door and texting at three in the morning and all the stuff that everybody's doing. That's our ongoing protest against MAGA. I'm confident that this next election, we have the we have the capacity and the opportunity to really break them in a way that is what we need to do for the future of our country. Wow, that really resonates with me. It reminds me of a phrase, uh, you know, faith is very important, but faith without works is dead. Uh, and uh, and that's what we need. We need the hope, we need the faith, and we need to work at it and make it a reality. So, uh, Simon, thank you. I wish we could keep going on, and I hope you'll come back and join us another time. But thanks so much for being here. No, it's my pleasure. I love you guys. And just, uh, Jen, thanks for all your amazing work the last couple of years. It's been really high level and impactful and, you know, just grateful for what you do. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Appreciate you. Okay. Very inspiring. Okay. See you, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. And we want to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, and at Jen Ancona. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and leave us a review on Apple or wherever else you get your pods. Share our show with your friends and family as well. There's always more work to do, so we'll be back next Wednesday.